the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab Premium, number 376, for Thursday, January 19th, 2012. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab Premium. And thank you very much for subscribing to our premium episodes. We do really appreciate it. Here from Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. And then back up there. In Durham is Pilot Pete. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming back, Pete. Yeah. Hey, I just want to say that intro was flawless. It was like you practiced it a couple of times. Yeah. You know, I got to start <laughs> using the mute button to get you guys to shut up before I uh, before I start recording. Don't okay, blame us. Funny, you, you flubbed it all. Oh, no, I flubbed it I, only because I had to jump the gun on starting to talk because you other guys, no. otherwise you guys would have filled it with space. But I'm going to start using the mute button from now on. That's right. <laughs> Greetings, folks. Welcome to How the Sausage is made uh all right let's uh you know let's we, we've got lots to go through and then next week is Macworld expo you know what uh Macworld expo coming up uh a couple of things i know several many of you especially our premium uh listeners are heading out to Macworld expo so a couple of things let's go through real quick number one if you are traveling at all one of my favorite travel resources is a program called or is a website called Tripit at tripit.com. It is fantastic. So uh, what the coolest part is you sign up for an account and you can do this for free. There is a pro service that'll send you alerts and that sort of thing. But if you don't need the alerts, you can even just sign up for free. And uh, what's cool is you go in and you put all your, you put your email address in, but then you tell it about all the email addresses that you might have. And then it's smart enough. If you get uh, like, you know, you go and book your plane reservations, let's say, and you get an email confirmation from the airline saying, okay, here's your thing. If you just take that email and forward it to plans at tripit.com, as long as it's coming from one of the email addresses they know to be on file for you, they will automatically parse that email. They'll figure out what the airline is, what the flight number is, takeoff time, departure time, your seat, your your uh, travel. What's the the flight code that your your booking reservation oh, yeah, ID? Yeah, exactly. yeah, your reservation yeah, ID. Six digit ID. Yeah, that's six digit. They pull it all out. They'll even put the price of it out there. You can do the same with your hotel, your rental car, and uh, it builds a little trip with days and it puts weather in there, and you can subscribe to the calendar. So. It's uh, it's awesome. And I couldn't possibly live without it. It's great because anytime I get reservations, I just blast them off to trip it. And then I know I'm not going to forget about them. A lot of times I'll book hotels for things if I'm not sure I'm going or not. And trip it helps me remember that I've got these you know floating hotel reservations that I got to go kill too. So uh, so handy stuff to check out trip it. And if you want trip it pro, but you know, that's um, you know, it, it probably most of you probably doesn't matter. So that's uh, that's one thing I really like for for traveling. Oh, and they have an iOS app too, so that's good. Oh, neat! Yeah. I use um, you know, I've been using for a while. I almost always use for booking uh, all of my travel. I haven't they haven't uh, ruined anything, but uh, Travelocity I'm pretty happy with because they include and it's part of their system. But the thing that I do like is I'll give them my cell phone and it uh, it'll send me the uh, the flight alerts. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah. or flight updates and stuff. And I think most airlines do that now anyways. That's sure right. The service does, but, uh, That's right. but no, I've been, ha- I mean, it was cool the first time that happened when, you know, well, and you can even take plans. your, you can even take your Travelocity confirmation emails and forward those to TripIt. So you've got everything, oh. your hotel and your flights and everything in one spot. Yeah. That's kind of the, yeah. uh, the beauty of it. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I I highly recommend it, and it's great because then you and I could connect with each other, and you can see when my flights are, and I can see when your flights are, and it's like it's awesome. It's good, so I nice. highly recommend it. Um, the other thing is, of course, Cirque du Mac is a week from well, at this point, a week from tomorrow, but it is Friday night, the twenty seventh. So whenever you're listening to this, uh, and of course, premium members who are attending MacWorld are invited, but you got to get to us soon so we can get you on the list before the. Uh, before the ticket submission window closes, uh, if you don't get on the the list ahead of time via email, come see us at one of our various performances or, uh, uh, you know, showtimes or whatever. You know, we're doing Geek Gab and my back up your Mac and the smile booth and all that other stuff that we talked about in the last show. Come find us at one of those. We will have paper tickets if I remember to get those printed. So remind me to do that tomorrow. Right, John? <laughs> <laughs> it actually hit me last night. I had, I, you know, we've had everything designed. All the banners are on their way. Everything's going. The t-shirts are on their way. And it hit me last night. I'm like, Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta have tickets printed. So don't you have something that, that does a to-do list for you? I do. It wasn't on my to-do list so, oh. until last night. I actually put it on last night. So I'll, I'll deal with that tomorrow. So it's a pretty easy thing. I take a PDF, I email it to FedEx Kinko's and then uh, I pick them up when I get to San Francisco. So, Oh, really? They, they do your printing? You're they do that? that. Yeah, they're, huh. they're okay. Um, I would not recommend them at all for business cards or anything because the, their, their paper stock is too thin, but for, for the tickets and stuff, it works out fine. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's, that's our travel stuff. Is it time to dive into our, uh, our tips. I know I'm kind of going all over the place here, John. So. Yeah, that, that's all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to steer you in the right direction. Okay, yeah, you do. <laughs> you do that. Uh, okay, so uh, the, Douglas uh, inadvertently sent us an awesome tip in uh, a question that he had, and the tip was about um, how you can, if you're backing up your iOS device to iCloud, you can choose what apps data gets backed up and what apps data does not by default everything is backed up but you can turn it on and off per app and i had no idea that this was possible so what you do is you go uh, on your ios device you go to settings uh icloud and then go at the bottom of that to storage and backup and then go to manage storage And then you'll see a screen that lists backups and then below that documents and data. So what you want to click on is the device that's listed in backups, which is your current device. So I'm going to click on my iPhone in there and then uh, it'll show you the the time, the time and date of your most recent backup and the size of your backup. And then below that, it'll show you the next backup size and it lists the top five largest data stores per app. So for me, you know, I've got camera roll at the top with almost a gig worth of data. And then I've got Audible, iMovie, uh, Pocket Casts, and then Google Currents. And so I've decided, look, I don't need to back up what's in Pocket Casts or Google Currents. And I can just slide those things off. It's awesome. I highly recommend going through and doing this, especially if you're worried about the storage space you're using on, on iCloud. If you've got multiple iOS devices that you're backing up. So, Ooh. Yeah. Good point. Though they yeah. do show a nice little bar on the bottom. So I see here, for example, I have 24.2 GB available of 25. 
So, oh, you bumped uh, up to a 25 gig account, huh? You know, I thought they did that for everybody mm. and they're going to roll it back. I'm trying to remember where I saw that. I saw no. that somewhere in my, no, if I, if I look on you my account. You got it because of your mobile me migration. When you migrated mobile me over, you automatically got that for the first year. That's right. Okay, but I know I've seen somewhere on some screen somewhere saying, oh, we're going to back you off of that plan eventually. Yeah, at the end of your first year of, uh, of iCloud, you get it for free as part of ha- having migrated mobile me over is, is what it is. So, ah, here it is. Okay. How would I find this? So I'm going to, I'm going to mention the, uh, the, the, the other part of this here. So of course, if you go to your Mac and you go to the, uh, system preferences, uh, and you go to iCloud. Yep. So yeah, I found this Dave, Dave when I did, um, manage, so you go to manage and say view account and that'll list some of the details. And that's where I remember I saw this. So it says here, storage plan, 20 gigabytes. You will be downgraded to the free storage plan on 630.12. Okay. And it shows my Apple IDs, my credit card, all that fun stuff, which is. <laughs> so share that, share that with all of us here, John. <laughs> the credit card. What's that security code? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also this, this screen also. So if you go to the iCloud screen, the other thing that I think is nice. So, so you click on manage and it will show you kind of the big picture. So on mine, it shows backups. This is on and it shows Mac. the same. Right. And it shows the same thing you described here. So it shows backups. So right now it shows two categories, backups and mail. And it shows backups. And then it shows my only device that I have registered right now, which is my iPhone. And it shows the last time the backup occurred and um, and the size of it, which matches the screen you just told us about. But that, that's it. kind of a nice if you want to make sure that your devices are backing up, because actually when I first went to iCloud, I was mm-hmm. not sure that my iPhone was backing up. And actually the first time I think it failed, what happens is you'll see it. It'll say, you know, uh, backup interrupted or something like that. I think it lost a uh, connectivity. Sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. And then uh, we have a good little tip from Corey. Corey writes, uh, I just discovered something. So this is a, a, a kind of a helpful hint. And then a, a tip about how he found out about this. He says, I just discovered something which I was not expecting and I felt like I should let you know. So you might talk about it on the show. As I'm sure you know already, the late model MacBook pros all have dual GPUs, one that's integrated into the Intel chip for uh, conserving battery life and a discrete AMD or NVIDIA one for high performance. And they switch on the fly as necessary. This is all good and well, and it's a great idea to keep battery life at its best. Some applications can specify that they need the capabilities of higher performance models, which is to be expected. What wasn't expected were some of the applications out there that do this, which you would not imagine. The culprit I found is a mail client called Sparrow, which I found in the Mac App Store. Uh, Apparently, some of the effects used in this app request the higher performing GPU to be running all the time. This is the case even when the Sparrow window is closed, as long as it's running, your discrete GPU is operating. This could be a huge battery hit for someone on a laptop who's on the road all the time, and they should quit Sparrow at all possible when on their battery. How did I discover this, you ask? Well, I did it using a utility called GFX Card Status, and we'll put a link in the show notes, uh, which I think you've talked about before. We have. Uh, it's a great utility which tells you in real time which GPU you're using at any given moment. You can also use that same utility to force it to use one GPU or the other. And from what I can tell, Sparrow seems to run fine even when you force it to use the integrated GPU, though the scrolling isn't as smooth. There's also a pretty nifty function which will force the integrated graphics when you're on battery, and then you can go to auto-switching when you're plugged in. So a good little utility, and uh, and thanks for the heads up about that. Yeah, that. For anyone, even if you don't care about manually switching it, 
knowing that you're using the more battery intensive uh, GPU when you're on uh, when you're on battery would be a good thing uh, because as Corey found out, he didn't have to be when running his email client. So thanks for that, Corey. That's good stuff. Mm. Yeah. Cool little utility. My machines don't support it, but, uh, but if they do, no, mine don't it. either. Yeah. But so, so I guess this is the, I think my mini has the, uh, Intel graphics, which from what I recall, yeah. So that uses system Ram right. instead of dedicated VRAM. Right. So I guess, yeah, that, that would save power. So, so you get less performance, but yeah, you save some juice, which when you're on a laptop is good. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. All right. Uh, so now we have uh, a question from Jared and we might be able to take a tip from Corey to help him solve it. Let's see what he says. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's Jared in Monterey. Hey, uh, I have a tale for you. It's, it's a tale of woe that, that turned into a tale of joy and then has turned back into a tale of woe. <laughs> I scored a, uh, a really good deal on a, on a factory refurbished uh, Apple Cinema display, non-Thunderbolt version. It's a, the 24-inch model. And I've been running that uh, connected to my Mac Mini. Life is good, works great. But I installed a KVM switch that works with Mini DisplayPort, and I switch it back and forth between my Mac Mini and my 2010 13-inch MacBook Pro. The uh, the MacBook Pro is is running um, an SSD and eight gigs of RAM, and it's it's a fantastic little computer. The problem that I'm having is that. Uh, when I'm using the MacBook Pro and the Cinema Display together as a dual screen setup, after a few minutes' time, the uh, the screens, both displays, will go a solid color and oftentimes different colors, and then uh, the computer freezes up. And the only way to repair it is to uh, to force power off the the MacBook Pro. I've tried using the Mac Mini. And, and logging in via SSH and trying to restart command, but uh, but that doesn't it doesn't work, and uh, I'm am super confused. So I did some troubleshooting and I chatted with the Genius Bar folks at my local store. They they recommended doing an SMC reset and a PRAM reset, and I did both of those things, and it, it didn't do anything for me. The MacBook Pro was running a of uh, the most current version of Lion, and it was upgraded from Snow Leopard. So I did a a clone, a, a super duper clone of my drive, and uh, reinstalled Lion Clean from scratch, and then restored the machine using uh, Migration Assistant, and that solved the problem. I wasn't having the issue at all anymore for about a week, anyway. And then uh, just today, reconnected the machines, and I, the machine to the display started to do some work, and boom, everything locked up again. I don't know if you guys have any suggestions. Uh, I've read through Apple's community uh, support discussions, and it sounds like it's it's been an issue with other people as well. And some folks say software, some folks say hardware. I want to say that it's software because it it was working fine for a little while, but but who knows? I uh, I'd really love to try and fix this myself before having to drag my cinema display and my MacBook Pro into the Apple Store to chat with the geniuses. So uh, if you've got any insight. Awesome. Hey, this is where you can cut me off. And we shall. All right. Uh, okay. So the fact that it wouldn't respond via SSH when in its lockup state leads me to think that it might be a hardware problem uh, because the computer is, it's not just that you're not seeing anything, but it's co- totally mm-hmm. locked up. It could be software too. Um, but, but you know, this, my gut says hardware. Um, 
related to what Corey was talking about, you know, I think your MacBook Pro, Jared, is one of those that has the dual graphics chip. So I wonder if your problem has to do with using one chip or the other when it's requiring, you know, the, the additional uh, VRAM that would be needed to, to manage the two screens. Right. So you could, you could check that with GFX card status, uh, which we already, we've already put a link in the show notes for, uh, and, and see which card it's on and, and even force it to one card or the other and see how it behaves because you might be able to, to narrow it down and say, aha, this problem only happens when I am on the, say, internal graphics. And uh, so that might that might do it. I, that, that's how I would troubleshoot that. that. At least that'll help narrow it down. You have any thoughts there, John? <sighs> Tons. I don't know if I can get through them all. All right. All right. I would concur with your suspicion that it's a hardware problem, but I'm going to suggest a few different things here. So one, it could always be a bad cable. Now I think he mentioned this is mini display port, right? Yeah, that that's where that would be right. Yeah. Okay. So which, which I think is pretty much Apple proprietary, right? As far as I know. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So, so a few options here. So one, swap out your display port cable. Now, the other thing that I was thinking of here to, um, you know, try, try to, uh, I always like trying to switch parts in and out to try to solve a problem here. So another thing I'm wondering to eliminate that it's something wonky with the display. All right. Now, not everybody could do this, but if you happen to have an extra display the the, the reason I thought of this, Dave is, is that I looked at my Mac mini and you know what? My Mac Mini has a Display Port mm-hmm. port, but it also but but I don't have a Display Port monitor. John, how can you see what you're doing? You may be asking yourself. <laughs> well, you probably know the answer, but if you don't, I am using and and I think the machine came with it, or I bought it. No, I think the machine came with it, but I have a Mini Display Port to DVI adapter. Got it. Right. Which he would. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's going to my Samsung screen here, which I still have a Samsung. Uh, it's a nice 19 inch LCD. Looks wonderful. Uh, works great with the Mac mini. Uh, and it's plugged into the DVI port. It also has a VGA port, which I'm not using it at, at this point. Um, so I guess what I'm suggesting to to eliminate if he does have a one of these adapters and a DVI capable display, swap out the display and see if the problem still occurs. Yeah. All right. Again, if you have the, not everybody has, you know, displays flying around and, but would and adapters it, would it, and stuff would like that. Would a display cause the machine to lock up? I mean, remember, it's not just that we're we're not seeing anything; it's that it's unresponsive. Right? I, 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 I understand. I understand. I'm I'm just saying. I mean, who knows if the display could send a power surge on the Display Port yeah, adapter, and yeah, they, yeah. you know. Uh, I I always you know I, I love pointing out stuff that's in left field, but I've I've solved a lot of problems by trying stuff that's out in left field. Yeah, and, no, you know, that's the way to do it. Yeah. So it could be the display uh, again could be sending a, a wacky uh, you know signal to the the machine that makes the machine lock up. Right. So just right. thought I tossed yeah. that out there is that there are ways that, that there you can get an adapter and perhaps try a different display. Um, the other thing that I'm thinking of here, right? So one, of course, always look in the console and see if there's anything complaining about some sort of display issue. But then the other place that I look, and you know, I haven't looked here lately, Dave, and uh, the, the, the error messages that come up, um, I've been noticing a lot more variety as of late here. So if you go to library logs, diagnostic reports, 
look in there and see if you see any files in there that are display related. Um, now you're going to see, and that this is the, the thing that I noticed, which just kind of tickled me see, seeing these files in here is I noticed not one, not two, not three, but four different types of uh, reports in, in this diagnostic reports. So they either, at least the ones that I saw either end with dot hang dot crash <laughs> down, shut that uh, dot shutdown stall. And then I saw another dot spin. Oh. So in his case, if anything, I think he may either see, he, he probably see a dot crash report. And we've had people send these in and, yeah. and those are always helpful. So, so if you're ever running into a problem that you suspect, well, is either hardware or software and where and are those like to located? Try to logs slash library yep. slash logs slash diagnostic reports right, is well, where I a, found them. That's a good place to check. All right. Cool. Oh yeah. Cool. And I think those are, and, and I think the first time you fire up, uh, you install Mac OS, whatever, I believe the first time. So what happens is those eventually disappear. And I do believe they get sent off to Apple. I think the first time the OS tries to send them to Apple, because it helps Apple figure out what's wrong with their OS or what's wrong with their computers. Because it reports all sorts of, all sorts of details. Yeah. Um, like we had one the other day and, and, and it reported, you know, the, the configuration of the memory chips. So anyways, that's a good place to look for crash reports that may help us solve your problem. Moving cool. On. Awesome. Uh, all right. Moving on to Connor. Connor says, I've been trying to expunge log me in from my computers and have run into an issue. Log me in's little menu bar applet, I think, is spawned by a launch D task script or doohickey. That's my technical term, he said. Uh, <laughs> so when I try to quit it in activity monitor, it pops right back up. But since I have deleted the rest of the log me in stuff, like the thing that does the actual screen sharing, it just sits in my menu bar grayed out, spouting into the console nonstop about how it can't find anything it needs. I have run into this before and remember using a program called Lingon to find and disable the script that respawns it every time. I tried the version of Lingon in the Mac app store, but from what I can tell, it will only read and modify user level launch D scripts or make new ones. While this does not describe me since it's in the Mac app store, I was wondering if you knew of a way to use its old functionality to get at a system level launch D uh, doohickey, or if not, do you have another idea? My menu bar space is very precious to me and it's flooding my console logs too. So I'd like it gone. So yeah, um, uh, Lingon at any time. And, you know, this is good for anybody having anything that's launching automatically. Uh, Lingon, as we've talked about many times, is a great utility. But when they made it for the Mac App Store, they had to limit some functionality. And this is because of Apple's rules that you can't modify system resource files. Uh, even with user's permission, you can't modify system resource files like these. So they took that functionality out of Lingon 3. I have successfully used Lingon 2, which you can still get from, uh, I think it's Peter Borg apps website. Uh, you can use that uh, online and I've, I've done that and you can use that to modify uh, the things that are that are there. Um, so I actually run both copies of Lingon. Lingon 3, and it, it, although it's limited, for the most part, it will modify a lot of the things you want. And its UI is awesome. It's way improved from from Lingon 2. So I actually use both. But you can also do this yourself from the command line or even from the finder. So uh, if it is a system level launch D uh, related item, most likely it will be in uh, the root of your hard drive. So uh, and then library, so slash library and then launch agents. And for log me in, there are two files and you'll see them right there. Com dot log me in dot log me in GUI dot plist and log me in GUI agent dot plist. And one or both of those may still be here. So uh, just remove those and then immediately reboot your Mac 
So I would quit everything first, then remove those files and then reboot your Mac and you should be good to go. If you remove them with the finder, you'll likely have to authenticate, uh, but the finder will ask you to do that. So that should help you and that should do it. Do you have a, do you have another way of, uh, of modifying these if he wants to get rid of them, John? What was, what was the directory you mentioned, Dave? Library, uh, not your home directory, but system right. level library launch agents. Okay, because there's there's two other places I think you could look. I think there's also launch daemons. Okay, and I think that's a. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but but I yeah. know there's I I see stuff in there. So that's another yeah. place where when you install programs and they want to launch something. Yeah, actually there is a log me in item in there too. So yeah, that, that would be the, another place to look launch daemons. Yeah. Good catch. Right. So I'm not sure if the, uh, if anybody knows, I'd love to know. I, I'm not sure the distinction why you put it in launch daemons versus launch agents, but I believe they both are launch D jobs in, in right. the end. Right. Is that they get launched kind of behind the scenes. And, and if you set the right uh, parameters, then they will relaunch themselves if, if they if they get killed, which can be very annoying <laughs> and pollute your console. Um, and I think the third one is startup items, though I think that's really not used anymore. No. No, actually, I don't see anything in there, uh, at least on my system level, on, on my machine. So, right. uh, so yeah, so I think it's launch agents or launch daemons are the, are the two places you would look to, to axe those jobs. Cool. Uh, all right, moving on to Ralph. Ralph writes... I have not switched to iCloud yet, but I've been thinking of the best way to move my iWeb sites to another hosting service. I thought I would ask you guys your recommendations for a hosting site that would be easy to migrate iWeb content. It would be a plus if it was easy to do. Not really, I'm not really experienced with web design, and that's why iWeb and MobileMe was so great. I appreciate any advice you can provide, John. Mm. Yes, Dave. You are Mr. Are you? iWeb here, so uh, so this falls into your I am? turf. You oh are. man! <laughs> Although right. you're you're well, well for the next I won't now, be for the next six months. Yes, you're, this is a you'll be in uh, in high demand, and then of course that that particular uh, skill set can be can be can be washed well, away. Not necessarily, and mm. I'll tell you why. Okay. So, uh, so my recommendation was to read a. Uh, so our friend uh, Steve Sandy. Yeah. Over at Tua. Yes. At yeah. T-U-A-W. Yeah. The unofficial Apple weblog wrote, a re- I think, probably the best summary of the options available to people um, as soon as it was learned that, yes, uh, mobile me is definitely going away. iWeb is not going away. So, so the one answer is, uh, you know, and I'll summarize what, what he stated in this article and add some of my comments. But the thing is, you could certainly continue to use iWeb. Because one of the things is that iWeb has a number of options. So if you go into its preferences in, in one portion, it will say publishing and it'll say publish to. And normally, or, or I guess the preferred option and what made it such a, you know, as, as, as has been commented, what made it such a great option is you could publish to mobile me. Yay. And I'm even doing that now. And, uh, you know, again, it's going to stop. But here's right. the cool part is that there is a publish to menu. And there are two other options. So the one option here and the one suggestion that Steve makes, and, and uh, maybe I'll get your, your input on this, Dave, is you could publish to an FTP server. Now, of course, an FTP server doesn't have to be offered by Apple. And well, as far as I know, Apple doesn't offer right. FTP servers. So, uh, so the thing is, if you can find uh, someone that's going to provide you an FTP server and also web 
you know, of course, it have to be an FTP. So FTP would be the the protocol you would use to send your content from iWeb to someone, and and then they would also have to offer web publishing services. And and uh, I I actually haven't done this, Dave. I think you've well, you know, actually you, running. You have you you've done it uh, in. It's been a while, but we had a, a little internal website that you would FTP a. a, a spreadsheet that you turned into html every year for a schedule at macworld and we we hosted that at a place called pair networks true and, uh, yes and that would that would work fine with this so pair networks dream host i think is another one uh i mean there's a there's a jillion different different web hosts out there so yeah okay yeah. so so there are uh, yes yeah, so you're correct so yeah i um and i think i used uh and i still use uh cyber duck oh okay yeah i just like it because it's got a little ducky in the, in the doc and it's an ftp client so yeah I, I would create the content with excel and then ftp it over to this and the, so um you mentioned some some uh some places that will provide ftp services now the other thing is you could also i think the third option is it says publish to a local drive and then i guess you could manually copy the files over because what it's publishing is basically the web page content that is going to be, be placed on a web server right. so that's one option now another one and this one i think is probably the direction i'm going to take is um and this is using the option that i just mentioned so publish to instead of ftp you can say local folder and the thing is steve uh also did a kind of detailed thing of how you could do this on dropbox isn't that clever cool because here's the fun part dropbox up to a certain capacity is free now the only caution is i think you may not want to go nuts here i don't think you want to be running a commercial uh, you know, high traffic website because I think Dropbox may get uh, just like Apple did. I think yeah. publishing things to Mobile Me, if it got too much traffic, they they would throttle you or shut right. it down. And right. I think Dropbox would do the same thing if they're getting. So I would say for a personal website where you're sharing, you know, your blog or your photos or stuff like that, it's probably okay. But if you're going beyond that, then you may get a nasty gram from Dropbox, or it just won't work anymore. Yeah, and that's what a more commercial hosting service would be good for. So, right. So those are the two options that are available from within iWeb. And then I guess the third option, Dave, would be to abandon iWeb. Now, one option that was just brought up and both you and I were, were fumbling around to try to find the name of these guys here. Now is from Corellia software, Sandvox. Yes, I believe they offer some software that will. I, I don't think it automatically translates your iWeb stuff, but I think they, they give you guidance as how to. Okay. migrate your data over. So I don't think there's an automated tool that will pull it out of iWeb, but, uh, but I think uh, iWeb, you, you can export your stuff probably using like this local folder option and then import it into sandbox. And then uh, I think they also offer hosting, right? Yeah. Or, or at least they give you guidance on that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fourth option I would say in general, it's so like, for example, the, the only thing I really use iWeb for, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a blog type of guy. I, you know, don't want to tell you about my, you know, exciting exploits in my life. And but you do so that I don't on really... Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. That's correct. Good, right. You know, yeah. but the only thing I really used iWeb for was to publish photos. And even then I've been kind of slacking off on that. I, I got to get back into it because I do like taking photos and sharing them. Um, but you got to think about what you're doing with iWeb and iWeb would let you do a number of things. One, you could just share your photo galleries, which it was great for. And that's really all I used it for. Uh, from what I recall, iWeb would also let you do blogs and, and other sorts of things yeah. here. And so I guess the third suggestion from Steve, and I would agree with him, is you may want to think about adopting a different platform. So, like for example, the one thing, that, the, the other thing that I was actually thinking of doing, so, so you know, I moved from iPhoto to Aperture, 
Aperture will let you publish your photos to different places. And like one of them that I just dabbled with, but I think this will probably be my final solution. Either Dropbox, because I want to see, you know, if iWeb will, uh, how well it'll work with it. And they yep. offer the free hosting space. Or the other thing is um, Aperture, and I believe iPhoto as well, um, if you're only doing photos, you can publish to Flickr Absolutely. or a number of other photo sites. So depending on what you're doing with iWeb, you may want to look at other options. So again, Flickr is, uh, I think is, is a fine choice if you're going to be publishing photos and the Apple software supports that. Yep. Um, and then he covers other things, you know, Facebook, uh, you know, WordPress, Tumblr, uh, Posturus, I guess. I don't really yep. use them. So, and, and he lists a whole bunch of other things here. So, so I think you really got to... Again, what are you doing with iWeb? And based on that, uh, I think uh, his article, you know, along with the, the guidance that I gave here, uh, should help you learn what to do to migrate. But iWeb is, you know, iWeb's not going to go away. It's still going to run. It's still going to work. Yeah, but I wouldn't plan on using it ad infinitum because with the service going away, I think the app will be soon to follow at least updates. To um, it. True. That's a safe bet. And, and, you know, probably because the thing is, it, it, it still, at least at this point, integrates with Aperture, at least for photos and stuff. It sure. still does integrate with the, you know, using a, you know, the services that Apple makes available, like the media browser and stuff. It still is able to see things in iPhoto and Aperture, at least if you're using it for photos. You know, one, one thing. But that may break eventually, too. One I, thing I to know. remember is Corellia, the people that are making Sandvox are also the people that make that uh, Corellia media browser that. Somebody mentioned in a previous Ooh, podcast. So, mention. so, right. So, you know, knowing that those guys are doing that separately from Sandvox, man, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's not a bad, bad way to go. I, I've not used Sandvox a lot, so I can't speak to its uh, efficacy, but I sure, it sure sounds like that. That would be the type of thing that I'd want to go after. So, mm -hmm. yeah, cool. All right. All right. Moving on to Craig. All right. And Craig writes. I have a mid-2009 15-inch MacBook Pro running Snow Leopard. A couple of months ago, the service battery alert started showing up in the menu bar. I normally, do, I normally try to do a complete shutdown and complete cycle of my battery every week or so, but recently when I do, my machine fails to go into hibernate mode before shutting down when the battery hits zero charge. So when I recharge it and start it back up, I have all kinds of alerts. The date and time are wrong. It forgets my network and acts like it was shut down without going through the normal shutdown process. Is it a coincidence that this started happening at the same time the service battery alert showed up? Coconut Battery says I have 546 cycles used with a 74% battery capacity remaining. I'm still under AppleCare, so I took it to the Genius Bar. The Genius ran the battery and hardware test and said that my battery tests fine and should last a thousand cycles. He suggested doing a clean system install, which I plan to do soon anyway when I transition to Lion. I've tried resetting the PRAM and SMC several times and run through several complete battery cycles to recalibrate the battery, all to no avail. I'm thinking that maybe my machine is failing to hibernate because it's miscalculating the remaining battery charge so it runs out of juice before it can store the hibernation image. I installed Smart Sleep and I'm able to manually get it to hibernate successfully, just not automatically when I run the battery down to zero. No issues waking from sleep. I'm inclined to just replace the battery at this point, but I'm wondering if you have any other ideas for me to try before I plunk down the cache. Okay, Craig. Uh, you should not have to plunk down cash for this, and I'll tell you why. You are it, you are within Apple Care, which is good. You are under the thousand cycle maximum for that battery, which means that it is still covered under Apple Care. And if uh, Coconut Battery is correct, 
and you are less than 80% of the stated maximum factory capacity of that battery, Apple should automatically replace the battery for you. Being that you're at 74, that's what Coconut Battery says. Hopefully Apple's utility agrees with that and you should be able to get the battery replaced. Now, as to what's going on, yeah, I, I think the batteries, I think there's something wrong with the battery. The service battery alert comes up when the, because of that 74%, as soon as you dip below 80, that's when the service battery thing appears in your little drop down in the menu bar. But I think there's something else going on here. You've recalibrated, you've gone through all of that. Um, it, it may be that you've got a bad cell in the battery. I've seen that happen. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think it's a calibration issue though. It could be it, 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 in the end it's moot, right? It, it needs to be replaced and Apple should do it because you're, because you're covered for it. So I think, I think you've been through something similar, right, John? You know, the last time I had the same alert, I noticed the same phenomenon on really? my MacBook. Okay. Is that when I noticed that, yeah, you get the service battery alert, which, uh, you know, if you have the battery icon in your menu bar, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll see this. And I also noticed that typically, yeah, I was also using smart sleep, but I would uh, count on the machine. And I think, you know, especially when I would take it on a flight with me, um, typically, uh, you know, the battery would last about two hours and I was always counting on the machine to gracefully shut down so I could, you know, well, whatever I was doing, it would shut down gracefully, you know, hibernate, and then I could pull the battery and put another one in and resume as if nothing had happened. But I noticed the same thing, too. But yeah, to, to me, just the fact that it said service battery and we're, we're under Apple Care, to me, that should have been an automatic replacement because I remember yeah. when I had this problem. I called Apple and I said, I'm on Apple care. I have Apple batteries. It says service battery. I think he asked me to run system profiler, which can send a uh, report right to the rep, which actually I thought was freaking cool, which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at the numbers, which I guess met the criteria that you pointed out that you mentioned, Dave. And he's like, yep, we're, we're shipping you a box and, uh, you know, return your, we're shipping you a new battery. You return your old one or, or the other way around. And, uh, yeah. So I basically got, because I was under now it was because I was under Apple care. And I'm sure I don't know if Which you're not under Apple care, but oh, I'm wondering yeah. if you're not under Apple care, if, if there's a separate, you know, just individual battery warranty or if you're just out of luck and, and you do have to buy a new battery because they will, they'll die eventually. I think, I think if they you're within do. the first year, uh, Oh, it, you know, I mean, well, Apple equipment has a one year warranty, right? right, the, the, right. The, the base warranty is one year. Yeah, and if your battery's reporting that under a year, then yeah, you should you should also get a replacement. So so I I it sounds like he was kind of misled by I think the, the genius, genius got it wrong. Yeah. If it's saying service battery just and it clearly showing symptoms of, of that, that that's the whole point of that service battery thing. So uh, yeah. I would go back, pound your fist, ask to talk to a manager. Right. Well, don't pound your fist, no. but but just well, say, look, it's a you know, you know, that's the other thing. Battery. Can, I, can I jump in with yeah, that? Go ahead. that no. uh, you know, that's the old. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. I'll be quiet. No, it, the old <laughs> thing is if, if mom says no, ask dad. And, and I've always found that to be, there's a couple of times I've not gotten the answer I wanted on Apple or Apple care, call them back, talk to somebody else and boom. Oh yeah. We'll take real good care of that. It's rare, but once or twice yeah. in the last five years, I've called back and said, Hey, this is what's going on. And had to call back and get the answer I wanted. And uh, so that's worth the extra call. But, you know, yeah. especially not that, you know, and I guess we got to dispel because we, we've, I think, mentioned in the past, you know, oh, if they see that you're either a good customer, you have Apple Care, you may get treated differently. 
no, I, I, I don't think that's the case. But but it sounds like somebody didn't follow proper procedure because, yeah, it, it again sounds to me like this is a defective part. You should replace it, especially because you're under Apple Care. So, yeah, as you said, Pete, <laughs> keep asking no, until, until you get the. Yeah. So don't take no for an uh, for an answer here. I, I would suggest to go back or go to a different Apple store and uh, and, yeah. and uh, or use the Apple or call, or call Apple yeah. Care. Call them you, because, yeah, in my case, I didn't Apple store. You can call them because I think I remember when I called and they said, well, you're near an Apple store. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, for me, it's, you know, basically at least a half an hour drive. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can call. Yeah. I, I I said I'd I'd much rather that you know we do this by mail, and I think that the law was offer the option. I think they they they'd prefer you to go to the Apple Store and and talk to a genius, but if not, there's there's always mail. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, that's how it works. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I I don't know uh, why I was thinking of this, but the other night, my, the first Mac I ever owned was an SE30, uh, and this was in nineteen the spring of eighty nine when I bought that, and. Uh, I remember the warranty was only 90 days. It was Apple warranties have not always been a year. And I distinct. Uh. Yeah, because that Thanksgiving I had left the, the SE 30 in. So, you know, I got it in, I don't know, whatever, February, March, maybe of, of 89. So Thanksgiving of 89, I was in college. I went home for the weekend and I left my SE 30 in the in my dorm room when I came back. The power supply had fried out. There was so much dust, you know, in, in these college dorm rooms or whatever that over time it had just fried out and it had been on pretty much nonstop. And then it was off for several days and it wouldn't turn back on or it shorted out most likely when I flipped the switches to bring it back on. And I remember we had to pay like 400 bucks for a new power supply. And it was certainly within the first year of its uh, of its of its life with me. So, yeah, it was not it was not always one year. So I know we complain about it only being a year, but uh, but it didn't always used to be that way. All right, uh, moving to Michael, right? Michael writes, Lately, I have been noticing a question mark icon on web pages and in the App Store. I don't really remember when it started happening. It's appearing on my iPad also. I check my internet connection and it says I'm connected. Any ideas? John? (laughs) Yeah. You want to start with this one or should I? I'm going to start. My idea here. So if you see a question mark where a graphic should appear, and I think that's what we got from the screenshots here, my immediate thought here would be some cache is messed up. Well, hmm. gosh, how, how do you reset a cache, at least under Safari? Well, I'm going to tell you. You go to the Safari menu, and you're going to see an entry. Empty cache. That's the first thing I would do. All right. Um, now, the second thing I would do, is that there's another setting here, which is a bit more fine-tuned. So, so that's kind of the the big hammer. Okay. <laughs> Empty cache. The other one is reset Safari. So that's another setting in the Safari menu. And there you will get various... Um, we've talked about it before, but it, you know, not everybody has heard this before. But if you go to reset Safari, you will see a couple of... You will see a number of very specific operations here. And I'm thinking the one, huh, I'm looking here, remove all web page preview images, maybe, or no, nah. I, I, think, I think actually that one. Yeah, probably. Uh, okay. That's not appropriate, though. It's worth mentioning. It, it's still a selection. And then the third one. So, all right. So ignore what I just said. Okay. <laughs> but the third thing I would do is Onyx also has, because he said it's not happening in just Safari, but it's also happening in the app store, right? 
Uh-huh. The third one is Onyx has an option. So if you, uh, so we love Onyx. Onyx is probably, I think, the best system cleaning and kind of maintenance, uh, or one of the best. Um, I believe if you go to the cleaning section and then the internet section, it will list a number of internet-related caches that you can clear out with Onyx. And that would be the other place that I would look. You know, check as many of those as you want. And I think this is going to happen, but but that's why I think question marks appear is because it, it it's a a cache and, and a cache is old data that rather than retrieving the data, a cache is basically taking older data and presenting it instead of trying to retrieve it again. And sometimes that mechanism gets hosed, and that's why you see a question mark. All right, so John, you uh, so you totally bailed me out on that thing about the launch agents before, and uh, by by remembering that there's that launch demons folder, right? And everything that you just said is fantastic troubleshooting advice for Safari, and is is worth saying. However, I'm Ugh. certain that it's not going to solve Michael's problem. Uh, and Go, it, brother! It hit me as I was reading his question to us <laughs> all just now, because okay. he said not only is it appearing on web pages in the App Store, but it's also happening on his iPad, which means that it's something with his network. It has nothing images. to do with his really? Mac. Yeah. So I think it's it's oh, either some weird setting in his router, although that's probably not it. My guess is that it's whatever DNS server they're using uh, is not is is not uh, well not no, the pictures, actually it would, yeah. it would have to be something in his router because chances are so, well for example if you visit macobserver.com some of our images come from a separate server that we use uh, that's more tuned to serve images as opposed to to web pages uh, but but. Some of our images come from the normal web servers. So it's possible that you've got a weird DNS problem going on. But but also it, it might be, yeah, that you've got some filter on your network set to keep images from coming in. Now, I, I you know, I don't know what kind of router you're using, Michael, or or how that's all configured. But you definitely have a network wide issue with regards to be, images being filtered. Um, hmm. You know, you could use open DNS. Uh, you could change the DNS settings in your router. You're going to get uh, your. So the way DNS works and DNS is the thing that takes when you look up, say, www.macobserver.com. DNS turns that into a number 207.58.150.216. Right. And then your computer goes and talks to that address. Well, if your DNS server turns that into something else. It's not going to get the resource that you've requested and it would end up with, you know, essentially a broken image. Um, so you could and, and your computer asks for the uh, DNS to be resolved by the router and then the router resolves it from whatever your Internet service provider has told it to use. Uh, but you could use something like OpenDNS.com and replace your router's DNS settings with those. And that gives you a little more control over what happens. And maybe that's what you've done. And maybe you've over filtered images out uh, that way. But, hmm. but even still, that, that'd be a hard thing to do. Um, my, my guess is you've got some other filter that's stopping, you know, maybe your firewall is, is smart enough to sense when JPEGs are coming in and it's, it's blocking those out. Uh, yeah, and is it working? Is it doing it with other browsers? Well, it is. I mean, it yeah. clearly is. It's yeah, doing yeah. it on his iPad. It's yeah. doing it oh, on. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. You know, so, so, try Firefox or something. Yeah, my guess is he's going to see it with Firefox too. Yeah, Mike? sure. Yeah. I, I bet it's a router. It's got to be a router thing. It has to be. 
It has and to. If he's seen some in- images but not others, then it may be the DNS thing because it's getting some but not mm-hmm. finding the others. Possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tough. So, but it's, I don't think it's a safari. In fact, I'm certain it's not a safari problem if it's happening. Now, it, it, yeah, it would have, it, w- it would have to be. Sounds like he needs a new uh, time capsule. And, yeah. And well, a new it depends. Laptop. Is it, is it happening at home? Is it happening yeah. at work? You know, if it's mm. at work, then your router may, I mean, you know, somebody may have configured, you know, you might have Ooh. some corporate firewall. Try a different, on. try a different network connection. Yeah. That should roll it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Try connecting your iPad to, you know, the Wi-Fi at Starbucks or whatever. Right. And see if, you know. Yeah. yeah. Or hit the library or, yeah, exactly. whatever. Whatever yeah. you got available other yeah. than your connection. Try your neighbors. Um, well, yeah. with their permission, of course. Right. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, Back to Douglas. I don't know if this is the same Douglas as before. I don't think it is, but it might be. Uh, It is. That's okay. Uh, So Douglas writes, uh, in show 370, you mentioned adding something to the finder sidebar by dragging it there. This did work through Snow Leopard. However, in my experience with Lion, this only seems to work with folders. When I drag a document or application to the sidebar, I can put it in a folder, but I cannot place it directly in the sidebar. I like to keep a couple of applications in my sidebar for easy drag and drop. When upgrading to Lion, I used migration assistance so the files and applications I had in the sidebar in Snow Leopard were transferred and remain there, but I can no longer add things to it. Is there a way... And the answer, Douglas, is yes, there is a way. Uh, by default, you're right. In Lion, when you drag a folder or an application, or a, sorry, a file or an application over, it does not let you put it there. And my guess is they did that because people were accidentally dropping it, trying to move it to a folder that was already there and missing and then winding up with an alias of it sitting in the sidebar and, and getting lots of support calls. So they turned that functionality off by default. If, however, you hold down the command key while you're dragging it, you can place items, applications, files into the Finder sidebar in Lion. So check that out, and that should uh, that should do it for you. Good stuff, John? Fantastic. Fantastic. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Do we have uh, – who, who's next, John? You, you, you tell me. Are we doing uh, Terry, Joe, or are we moving down to Steve? Uh, I'll I'll respond to Terry separately. No, oh, okay. I mean, there's, right. Well, no, I mean, there's a, uh, yeah, it's a, I don't know. There's a lot of Mac products, but, but not. Uh, John, you're, you're talking about you, things that the listeners don't. Hey, we gotta, <laughs> now, that you've, now that you've done that, we're, we're going to have to answer the question. Terry writes, uh, I listen to you guys all the time, but I can't recall if you've ever talked about business card readers. I have about 200 business cards. I would like to get into my contacts without having to type everything in. I'm running 1068 on a MacBook Pro 13 inch. What do you recommend? I'll go with my recommendation first, John, and then I'll, go. if you've got something, say. Oh, I got, I got tons here, but. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, you can't tease them about this stuff, John, and then not answer the question. So uh, I don't have a business card reader, but I did wind up using something at CES last week that I found fairly valuable. Um, at one point, John Donahue from Backbeat Media and I were at the uh, at the spec booth, actually, and he got a card from uh, someone at spec that I wanted to have in uh, the TMO database. And he also wanted to have in the Backbeat database. And we only had one copy of the card. So what I did was I had my iPhone 
and I opened up an app called Prismo and we've talked about it before. What it does is it's a, it's a, it's a scanner app and it uses the camera on the iPhone and it even has a business card option. So I, I took a picture of it and uh, with Prismo and then I told it, scan it as a business card. And lo and behold, it pulled all this data out. Uh, it knew what company it was. It knew what the email it was. It knew what the phone was, the person's name. And then it offered to put it right into my address book on, on the Mac. Uh, or I could email it as a V card or, you know, whatever I wanted. It was totally, totally great. So uh, not a Mac product for scanning business cards, but certainly an on the fly product for doing so. And will auto populate your address book if you like. So, so that's, that's a, a, a tangential answer to your question, Terry. And John's going to give you his best shot at 60 seconds worth of answers to this. 60 seconds. <laughs> 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 All right. So here we go. So here's guess, a number of options sure. here. So surely. All right. So a number of options that I found here. So, so one is someone that I'm, I actually set up on point move with. I'm going to meet at Macworld, but I've seen them before. Um, neat receipts. All right. So this is a business card uh, reading system here. And uh, I think the price is about 200 bucks. Okay. Um, it was kind of funny because I, I saw them at an event I went to last year. <laughs> And I thought I was actually losing my mind because I walked by their booth and then I walked back to the booth and I took a picture of what they had on their screen. And then I started talking to the rep. All right. What I saw was my business card. I'm like, all right, I know they've been serving drinks at this show, but uh, I'm almost positive I have not been here and gave you my business card. It was someone I had seen at the last show that was using my business card as a demo for their software. That's funny. so neat receipts, 200 bucks. Another one is card scan, which apparently yeah. now has been acquired by Dymo. So they also have one Dymo card scan personal, 159.99, another, you know, little baby scanner that has a uh, software. Uh, I'm sorry, John, your time's up. No, you can keep going. <laughs> and the third one. Now I did find this, Dave, I, I did find something in the, uh, so those are Mac based solutions. Now I did find a iDevice solution called business card scanner, and I'll provide a link to it. Uh, six bucks. And uh, from what I saw in the reviews, people said, you know, it does as well as you can expect. Um, you know, I mean, if you're going to scan business cards and pull the data in, I would say that, you know, a, a handheld camera is probably not the best way to do that sort of thing. I mean, I, you I, get what you get. Yeah. the I would say uh, quality wise, it works fine. Yeah. It's just a little more cumbersome than just feeding business cards into a uh, into a scanner. But otherwise, I mean, exactly. Yeah. And that's where these other people. So, so again, the two, it seems the two major players that make a Mac compatible product are neat and, and Dymo card scan. And they both have a, you know, little baby scanner where you can stack up your cards and, and scan them. So it depends on cool. how many you have. Cool. Uh, and that's, that's what I got to say. That's what you got to say. All right. Uh, all right. Now it's time. Let's move to, uh, well, let's go to cool stuff found here. So uh, Steve actually has, he's got a little cool stuff found and uh, I think he's got a, a question here. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll address both. Uh, where am I here? There we are. Go take it away, Steve. Hi, John and Dave. This is Steve in Okinawa, Japan. I got a cool stuff found and I got a tip. Um, cool stuff found. You've mentioned similar, but I didn't hear you mention this app. Uh, it's called Stream to Me, where you can um, stream stuff from your Mac to your iPad or iPhone. I use it all the time. Um, 
you download an app called Serve to Me, which is free, and put it on your Mac, and then your iPad will connect. And if you set up port forwarding, it works great inside and outside the network, and it, it buffers uh, so even over a little um, portable cell, um, I guess in the States it's a MiFi thing, uh, cell to Wi-Fi um, router, it works fine. So I can stream movies to my iPad from my iMac everywhere. And on a similar note, I recently stayed at a hotel in Tokyo, an expensive hotel, and they charge 6,000 yen a week for... Um, internet access. So when I checked in, I just wanted to be super careful because sometimes in Japan, there's all kinds of strange charges for things. So I called the desk and said, it's 6,000 yen for this LAN connection. And that's it for the entire week, no matter how many you know devices I have or how many times I connect and reconnect, it's going to be 6,000. They said, yeah, don't worry about it. One connection, one charge per week. So on check, I, and um, I brought my own Airport Express and plugged it into the LAN and used it with an iPad, two iPhones, and a MacBook Air for an entire week. So at checkout, they wanted to charge me 18,000 yen, a couple hundred dollars. So three charges, not one. Um, and I was upset, and I said, I'm not going to pay it. I checked. I was very careful. I was. I thought I was being overly careful by even asking because I was certain it was 6,000 yen per one connection. But it turns out, um, uh, well, they, they ended up, they saw how upset I was, and they only charged me the 6,000 yen. Uh, but after I thought about it, I realized uh, my airport express was on uh, bridge mode. So every time I connected, um, I got a new, uh, the server, a hotel server saw a different Mac address. It didn't just see the Mac address of my airport express because I was on bridge mode. It saw different Mac addresses for my iPad, iPhones, and MacBook Air and ended up charging me three times. Uh, I guess that's how they, uh, calculated the connection. But anyway, so if you're using your airport express in a hotel and it has anything, and you're connecting to a LAN port, just, I would say, make a network and don't have it on bridge mode. Anyways, this is where you can cut me off and thank you. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, that's that's huge advice. If you're going to do it that way, make sure you're in regular router mode, not bridge mode, uh, because otherwise... Or NAT or assign IP address, or I, I forget the exact yeah. menu selection. But uh, yeah, I've run into that too. I think, uh, yeah, one time when, when I accidentally had it on the wrong setting... I mean, I think I went down to the desk and they're like, well, we're charging you for, you know, two, I think, because I had two devices. We're charging you for two devices on your, and I'm like, dude, I only have one computer. How, how could you possibly, it must be a, a mistake. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, yeah, it must be. So, so they removed the charge. But, it, you know, I, I uh, again, I was kind of, uh, because I didn't set it up properly. I mean, yeah, rather than the MAC address of my airport express, it was getting, uh, like you mentioned, the MAC address of my individual devices. So. Good suggestion. So in airport utility under internet and then internet connection, uh, connection sharing, if you want bridge mm. mode, you turn it off. Uh, and it even says bridge mode in parentheses. But uh, what you would want is there are three options. Share a public IP address, which is router mode. Distribute a range of IP addresses uh, or bridge mode. So you want to do share a public IP address, I believe, is the uh, is the right the right mode for you there. Mm hmm. 
Yavo. So thanks, Steve. That's good. All right. Uh, let's see what we've got from Greg here. Greg says uh, he recommends his cool stuff found something called spanning tools for Mac from spanning tools.com. He says uh, I scanned, I used it. It comes with three utilities, uh, calendar cleaner, contacts cleaner, and a third one called sync tune up. So uh, calendar cleaner and contacts cleaner go through and make sure that your calendar and contacts databases uh, do not have any errors. Uh, and then sync tune up goes through sync services and sort of cleans that up too and tells you if there's any problems there. Uh, he says, I scanned my contacts and was very surprised to find out how much needed to be fixed. It tells you what exactly needs to be fixed and gives you choices. I was impressed at how well it worked. If you're like me and would do one at a time so I can see exactly the before and after I change before I fix it. So it can take a while if you want to be careful. Uh, they also have calendar cleaner, he says, and sync tune up, of course. Uh, yeah, I, I ran this on my contacts and it's awesome. It says, look, you know, I found, um, you know, that these contacts are duplicated and we can merge them all. It, it's way better than the stuff available inside uh, inside uh, uh, address book. And then, of course, the same for your calendar and the same for sync tune up. So I think we've talked about contacts cleaner before, but never realized they had these other two tools as well. So thanks, Greg. Right. You use contact cleaner, don't you, John? No. Okay. Well, the, the bundle is available uh, at spanningtools.com for $14.99 for all three. No, my list is totally 100% clean. Nice. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I pour through it every day to make sure there are no duplicates or problems. That's fantastic. For some, <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I thought you had recommended Contacts Cleaner a, a, while, a while back, but maybe not. No, I, I, we talked about one time. I think there is a, a very basic option in uh, address book, right? That, that will will find pretty glaring errors and take care of them. But that's that's worked for me so far. But yeah, if you, if you got a complex uh, address book, sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, and then he also recommends something called Zoomit at uh, at zoomitapp.com. And uh, what it does is it allows you to float a little window over your screen to see, uh, to zoom in on things. So that's uh, a handy little deal. So uh, you can check it out. At, it's 99 cents, he says, but zoomitapp.com. So I can see that being handy. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Uh, really handy if you're doing like a screencast. You know, I, um, I don't know that I'd ever actually made a screencast before uh, today, John, but uh so we, we record the podcast, as you know, John, at, we meet at 3 p.m. Eastern. So uh, at 2.15, I was typing back and forth on Skype with, uh, with Jeff Gamut, and I needed to teach him how to do something in FileMaker, and he needs to do today or tomorrow. And we realized that he wasn't going to have time before I needed to start recording. Uh, and then, you know, we weren't necessarily going to be able to sync up today. And, uh, and so I thought, well, just in case we can't, I'll... It would be great if I did a little screencast for him. So uh, starting at about 2.16 p.m., I I did the following. I reached into my, uh, I went over to my bookshelf and I found uh, a copy of ScreenFlow from Telestream. Now, I had never installed this before. I'd never used it before, but I knew I had it. It had come in like a speaker goodie bag or something from Macworld Expo. And so I installed ScreenFlow, and this was even version 2.1.11. It wasn't even ScreenFlow 3. Installed it. Started it up, uh, figured out quickly how it was going to work, opened up this FileMaker window, recorded a screencast that was about six minutes long uh, of just me doing these things. Now, it, it allowed me to record the screen 
and my voice. And I could also have recorded video of me, but I didn't need that. So I just recorded my voice in the screen from the internal microphone and, uh, and it recorded all my mouse movements, anything that appeared on the, on the screen. And so I went through this process. I explained it to Jeff. I showed it to him, uh, all without him there, of course. And then, uh, and then I stopped it and, and uploaded it to YouTube. Now I started this, as I said, at two sixteen. at two thirty nine PM, I was able to send Jeff the YouTube link of my six minute video. So it, this is like, like silly easy to use. So, uh, so I was very happy with that. Um, and it was, uh, less than two hours ago that I, that I finished this process. So, uh, ScreenFlow from Telestream is my addition to cool stuff found. It's not cheap. It's 99 bucks, but you can try it out for free and, uh, and it's good stuff. So that's my, uh, that's my contribution today. Rob has a contribution. Do you have anything to add here, John? You know, I found it the other day, but I think QuickTime in and of itself has a very basic record mode. Which I don't think is quite as sophisticated as what you found, but uh, will it capture the screen? No, as far as I know, if you go into QuickTime and you say start recording, it'll uh, it'll record what's what's going down. I found really? this the other day on oh, the screen. I mean, I know it'll record video, but I didn't think it would do the screen. What one thing that was cool about ScreenFlow is I was able to crop down. I didn't have to send him my whole screen when all he needed was my tiny little, you know, window of our little FileMaker database. So I was able to crop that down and make the, the video smaller. Was a QuickTime player, QuickTime 7? Sure. I don't know. I didn't think that would do screen, but it might. That, that's totally doable. I mean, I, I well, know. here. All right. So I'm in QuickTime player on my Snow Leopard machine. If okay. I start up QuickTime player and yeah. I go under file, new movie recording. Okay. And, oh, uh, no, I think this is a new screen recording. I believe that's the option. Oh, yeah. So for people that want to get adventurous, I don't think it, you know, there's no frills. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a reason that, you know, what you just mentioned, you know, that they charge for it because uh, it does uh, way more. Like, I, I don't know how much or if they offer even any uh, audio or. Uh, no, you can. Of, you can uh, choose nice audio. Cities. Yeah, definitely. Huh. So, like, but I think QuickTime Player. Well, I think we even had, uh, I think we even had an article a while ago talking about this. But, yeah, but again, it's a, uh, you know, it's basic. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm not so, seeing hey, the screen option, but. Learn something new every day. That's cool. But no, I got QuickTime Player, so I'm looking again at Snow oh, Leopard Machine, it. QuickTime Player 10, yeah. and in the file menu is new movie recording, new audio recording, new screen recording. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Oh, I've got QuickTime Player 7, that's why. That's why. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm in a Snow Leopard machine here, but down in my office, I'm not. I'll have to check it on that one. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, and then lastly, we'll move on to Rob, if I can find it here i know i can where is it how come i can't see this oh because i didn't call it cool stuff found all right he says in mac geek 373 you were helping another listener who wanted to automatically change the screensaver password on a home machine when in the evening it switched its use of that to uh, to that of a media server uh, and it wasn't the password actually that we wanted to change. It was the, the delay time before sleep that we wanted to change. Uh, but he says automator actions were not particularly easy, if I remember. But I'm going to take you back to one of my favorite apps, Marco Polo. 
Uh, you and John turned me onto it quite a while ago. For those not familiar with Marco Polo, it's a small app that senses the computer's location based on its environment, the networks it sees, the computers it sees on the network, etc. like that. Uh, on my MacBook Pro, I use it to switch to default printers and reset screensavers and password locks based on where I am at home, the studio or over at the nonprofit where I help out. The listener might try setting up a couple of instances based on the time of day and have it switch the screensaver preferences. Note, and this is actually why I didn't mention Marco Polo for John's question back in 373. Uh, Rob points out, note that Marco Polo does not work in Lion. However, and this is the best part, Rob found that Control Plane is its direct replacement. As far as I know, Control Plane will work in earlier versions of the OS as well. And we've got a link in the show notes to Control Plane. I took a look at this. It It is actually based on the open source code that Marco Polo's uh, creators released or used. So it is the evolution of Marco Polo for lion. And it is, it's all, it's a, well, haven't used control plane uh, yet, but Marco Polo was fantastic because it would, it would sense things. And it's really nice to be able to not have to deal with a password when you're at home, but deal with passwords when you're on the road and, and all of that stuff. So, uh, so for sure. Thanks Rob. That's uh that is huge stuff found, not just cool stuff found, but huge stuff found. <laughs> And John, I think that wraps it up until we're together in San Francisco. Yes, it does. Fantastic. You got something there, Pete? I got nothing. Oh, you got it. I thought you were waving your arms at me. So, okay. This, now I'm waving my <laughs> You're waving your arms. Uh, for those of you that are new to the premium feed, uh, first of all, welcome uh, all to all of you. Thank you for subscribing. And uh, for those of you that don't know how to contact us, premium at MacGeekGab.com is your special email address to reach us. Did I hear you right, Dave? I thought I heard you say premium at MacGeekGab.com. You did hear me say premium at MacGeekGab.com. However, there's one other email address I want to point out, and that is customer support at uh, MacGeekGab.com. Yes. That's customer support at MacGeekGab.com. That is for you to use if you ever happen to have any trouble at all with anything related to your premium subscription. John and I get that too, but it also goes to Adam who helps us out uh, with all of this stuff. And it will almost certainly get you a faster response if you email that address first. If you email us a premium for about a problem with the show, we will it, we will get it and do something with it and, and help you, obviously. But uh, but it will happen faster uh, by sending it to customer support in most cases. So it certainly won't happen any slower sending it to customer support. That I guarantee you. So uh, you can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is... Four... Three three five. That's right. We didn't talk about Twitter on the last show, so we might as well mention our Twitter usernames. That guy over there in Fairfield, Connecticut, is John F. Braun. That would be twitter.com slash John F. Braun. The guy to my right is Pilot Pete. Twitter.com slash Pilot Pete. I'm Dave Hamilton. Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton. You can find out everything about the show at twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. Follow all of us, and you'll have far more information than you like, but... Then go follow lots of other people because Twitter can actually be a great source of community and information. And I'm sure uh, John and I will be tweeting things about Macworld Expo next week. Oh, yeah. Yavo. Uh, I think that's it, right, John? Yeah, we're good to go. Let's do this. Thank you very much, folks. We will uh, see you on the other side. Remember to email us, premium at macgeekgab.com. If you want tickets to Cirque to Mac, we will do our best to make sure you get in. 
Thanks, Michael Johnston of the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this to AAC. Thank you to all the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for the bandwidth. And most of all, thanks to all of you for letting us do this for you every, every week or more than every week. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Have fun. Don't get caught. Thank you.